The scripture reading from Jeremiah 32, verses 16 through 27. After I had given the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord, saying, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You show steadfast love to thousands, but you repay the guilty of the fathers to their children after them. O great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts, great in counsel and mighty in deed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the children of man, rewarding each one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. You have shown signs and wonders in the land of Egypt and to this day in Israel and among all mankind and have made a name for yourself as it is this day as of this day. You brought your people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders and with a strong hand and an outstretched arm and with great terror. And you gave them this land, which you swore to their fathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they entered and took possession of it. But they did not obey your voice or walk in your law. They did nothing of all you commanded them to do. Therefore, you have made all this disaster come upon them. Behold, the siege mounds have come up to the city to take it. And because of sword and famine and pestilence, the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans who are fighting against it. What you spoke has come to pass, and behold, you see it. Yet you, O Lord God, have said to me, Buy the field for money and get witnesses, though the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Andrew in the choir, let's all join together in prayer. Let's pray. (coughs) Father, we ask now in these moments that you would be with us and help us to apply your word to our hearts, that your voice might be heard. Your guiding hand rests upon us, and our lives lived out in obedience to you. For your honor and our good, we pray in Jesus Christ. Amen. It has been said there are two different types of Presbyterian minister. There are those who bore you with sermon illustrations about their holidays, And there are those who bore you with sermon illustrations about their grandchildren. And this morning I'm going to join that second class of minister. Because seven weeks ago Liz and I had the blessing of another grandson born into our family, Jack. And when Jack is being shared about the family, given uh, for a, a wee nurse, the warning is always appended. He said, watch him. He throws his head backwards. He's very strong. And that's a strange sort of thing that we say on occasions about little children. Oh, he's very strong. But of course, that's not true. I could easily beat Jack in an arm wrestle. And believe me, I'm not strong. And some of you do believe me all too readily. 
This morning we're continuing our series of Advent reflections on the words of Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Four titles there are given to the one who was to come, this promised Messiah. There, Isaiah 9, 6, we read, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Last Sunday morning we looked at this idea of of Jesus being the Wonderful Counselor, the Counselor unlike any other. And this morning we're thinking about this second title, the Mighty God. The Mighty God. A baby has been promised, one who will come into this world. He will rescue and redeem his people. He will not be like any other baby that's ever come before, even those very strong babies that occasionally are born. No, this baby, this child will be the mighty God. And Mark read for us that little section from the prophecy of Jeremiah. And in it, there are two significant statements made. Now, the context of of that passage is that God speaks to the prophet, and he gives him what seems to be the most peculiar instruction. He tells Jeremiah to make a purchase of a plot of land. Now, some of you maybe involved in these things, uh, some of you with a bit of money behind you would say, well, that sounds like a really smart investment. You know, that's a good, secure thing to put your money into, into a piece of land. Normally, that would be a wise thing to do. The problem was that this land was in the vicinity of the city of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is under siege by the Chaldeans. And God's word has come to Jeremiah the prophet time after time after time saying that God was going to destroy the city. He was going to take what was left of the people and carry them off into captivity in Babylon all as the just punishment for their sin. And even as this land transaction is being enacted, even as Jeremiah is signing on the dotted line, The Chaldeans are about to strike. This long foretold judgment is about to be meted out upon the people of Judah. And that's the whole point. That's exactly why God chose this moment to tell his servant to do this thing. Because one day, one day God is going to restore his people. One day, normality will return. One day, peace and prosperity will once again be known in the city. One day, property values will rise. Verse 15 of Jeremiah 32 says this, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. So here are the people of Jerusalem. They are looking around at their circumstances. And they have such meager resources. All the food is gone. People are, are dying of starvation. 
They are so weak they cannot offer any resistance to the Chaldeans and they are cowering in fear behind the city walls. But even should they dare to lift their eyes and look over the wall, they see the earthworks being constructed by this great army that will ensure that within a matter of time, the army's soldiers will spill over into the city and all will be destroyed. Everything seemed so utterly hopeless. How could it be in such dire circumstances that that, that some form of normality, some return of stability might be known in that nation? Do you ever ask questions like that? Do you watch the news? Do you look out at the world? And think to yourself, really, what hope is there? How can the the brokenness and the godlessness that I see around me every day, how, how can this relentlessly deepening spiritual darkness ever be undone? Like Jeremiah, we need to lift our voices to God in prayer and to speak those words of, of verse 17 of this 32nd chapter. For the perplexed prophet prays, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. The passage concludes that second great statement, verses 26, 27. As God responds to the, the prophet's doubts and fears, We read, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. God speaks and says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? So these are are weighty statements. Firstly, this great question, is anything too hard for God? And the resounding answer that we must give, nothing is too hard for him. Why? Because the God we worship, the Savior who comes to rescue us, is the mighty God. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing that he cannot do. So as we think into this idea of mighty, of might. We we need to unpack that a little bit. And let me suggest to you that that might is made up of two parts, of power and authority, and both these elements need to be in place uh, for might to be right, to be exercised in the right way. Power is an individual's ability to control or direct others. And authority is an influence that has a recognized legitimacy. So might is power and authority, and power and authority must operate together. Because when power is wielded without authority, that is tyranny. Power without authority is tyranny. So we see this, we know this, we can all remember back to our, our, our school days. And in the the playground, there was always the school bully being bigger, more physically stronger than the others. He or she pushes their way around to get what they want. But it's not only children who are bullies. 
within our province, there are communities who, who still live under fear of, of paramilitaries, businesses forced to pay protection money. These people govern with threats of intimidation, punishment beatings, and even executions, ensuring that everybody in their area toes the line and dare not do otherwise. One student from a working-class background recently said in an interview, You've kind of taken the power out of society's hands and given it to these paramilitaries. And they get to decide who they're going to shoot, how guilty they are. It's sort of down to them. This is power wielded without authority. Power without authority is tyranny. And authority without power is idiocy. Power without authority is tyranny. There'll not be a quiz at the end. Authority without power is idiocy. Let me illustrate. A government official was dispatched from Dundonald. He had to go and take some geological readings for the Department of Infrastructure. And he arrived in a farmer's yard and he called to the farmer and he said, I've been authorized by the government to go out into that field and to take some geological readings. Do you mind if I do that? And the farmer said, you can't go into my field. And the man got a bit perplexed and we bit perturbed. And so he reached into his bag and he, he brought out a piece of paper and he said, look, here is my authorization. This bit of paper is signed by the Secretary of State and it says I can go wherever I think I need to go to take geological readings and you have not got the authority to stop me. So the government official began to gather up his tripod and his gear and he started to climb over the fence and the farmer said, tell you, you, you shouldn't go into my field. And once again, the government official waved his papers in his face and away he went across the field, right to the middle, and he began to set up his tripod when the ground started to shake. And he looked up and there was a mean old bull running towards him with its head down. And he forgot all about his equipment. He ran for the fence and he shouted to the farmer, help me! And the farmer said, show him your authorization. (laughs) Authority without power is idiocy. Power without authority is tyranny. But when Jesus came into our world, he came as the mighty God and he possessed the perfect balance of both power and authority. I'm going to do a little Bible study with you now. So if you have a Bible or if you can fire up your phone up, let's do a journey through a little bit of Matthew's gospel where we see this amply Illustrated. If you go to the end of chapter 7, Jesus has just finished preaching the Sermon on the Mount. This great teaching, this, this beautiful three chapters of, of wonderful challenge to our hearts and souls. And there we read the response of the people down at the very bottom of, of chapter 7, verses 28 29. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. Jesus was not like everyone else. He taught with authority. And then Matthew begins to show us how that applies, how that unpacks. He displays it in illustration after illustration. So look down your page, go to the story of the centurion. For here's a man who absolutely got it. He absolutely understood how all this works. Verse 9 of Matthew 8, the centurion testifies. 
For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. You see, this man absolutely got it. He understood who Jesus was. He saw in him both that measure of authority and of power. And he recognized what he could do. So, consequently, we see Jesus display his power and authority over sickness. Matthew eight thirteen. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done to you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. So Jesus, because he was the mighty God, could speak and heal even at a distance because he possessed power and authority over sickness. And look down your page a little further, Matthew 8, 26. Jesus displays his power and authority over the storm. He said to the fearing disciples, Why are you so afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And go on down the page, and we see again, Jesus shows his power and authority over Satan and his servants. They meet this demoniac having arrived at the far side of the Sea of Galilee. Verse 29. The demons within this man cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to to torment us before the time? The demons submit to Jesus' authority. They they can only go as as he uh, permits them. They go as he commands them because Jesus has power and authority over Satan and his servant. Next chapter. We see that Jesus has power and authority over sin. Matthew 9, verse 6. Jesus speaks and says, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And we note the response of the people to what has just happened, this miraculous act in their presence. Verse 8, when the crowds saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. And one final illustration, down in verses 24-25 of Matthew 9. Jesus displays his power and authority over the sleep of death. Again, you know how he comes to this house where the mourners have gathered, the funeral's in full swing, the little girl has died. And Jesus steps into the situation and said, Go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And what we see is that Jesus strides through the stories of the gospel. And he has this great consistency in every situation. He displays his power and his authority as the mighty God on every page. So when Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and addresses the great cry that have gathered there, the people of Jerusalem, he says in Acts 2.22, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God, with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. So Jesus came into our world. He came as the mighty God. 
He came with a, a clear demonstration of power and authority over sickness, storms, Satan, sin, and the sleep of death. But the difficulty for the people of Israel 2,000 years ago, and a difficulty that often is apparent in our lives still today, is that these problems that Jesus had the power to resolve still hind us. We're only weeks away from 2020. Can you believe it? But let me, let me dare to make a prediction that in the year 2020, yes, there will again be sickness. There will again be storms. In the year 2020, there will again be sin. There will again be death. Jesus displayed his mighty power and authority over these things. But for the people of the first century in Palestine, he didn't take all their problems away. And for us today, he doesn't take all our problems away. Jesus raised the dead, but still 2,000 years ago, people died. He healed the sick, but still 2,000 years ago, people became ill. And so... In that first century, people became disenchanted with him because he didn't sort out all their problems, because he didn't immediately resolve all their issues. They rejected him. They crucified him. And the same temptation can befall us today, tomorrow, next week. We can cry out and we can ask this mighty God, why, why don't you come? Why don't you come and show your power, your authority, destroying the enemies of your people? Why don't you sweep sin and sickness and suffering away? Why, why did you not show your power and authority in the life of my husband, my wife, my parent, my child? And Jesus gives us the answer. Another parable, another story, you know it, hopefully, Matthew 13. Jesus tells a story about weeds. A farmer who had a good piece of land, he sowed good seed. And yet, whenever the servants of the farmer went out to check, they saw that the field was covered in weeds growing. And through this story, Jesus said, yes, I will destroy my enemy. I will display my might. I will deal with all those issues that plague you, but not yet. In Matthew 12, 28, 30, Jesus tells the rest of the story. He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then, do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. God's word makes it very clear that a dreadful day is coming when ultimately, finally and fully, God's mighty power will be displayed. When everything that is wrong will be made right. When all the enemies of God's people will be finally destroyed and defeated. But in the meantime and until that time, we are called to wait. 
Advent is the waiting season. Waiting for the coming mighty God. Let's go back to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 32, 17. Jeremiah's great prayer. Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth By your great power and by your outstretched arm, nothing is too hard for you. And Jeremiah goes on to speak of all the other ways in which God displays his might. But he begins here, he begins with creation. When he thinks about what God has done, he he thinks firstly of God bringing all things into being. When the Apostle John starts to tell the story of Jesus in his gospel record. He speaks of Jesus as the eternal word, the one through whom all things were made. Read these words at the start of our service. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The mighty God in the person of Jesus, to create this universe, simply had to speak and all things came into being. But to recreate this world, to recreate this sin-corrupted heart of mine, the mighty God had to bleed and die. The calmer of the storm could not avoid the tumult of that first Good Friday with its darkened sky. The balm of life suffered the wounds of whip and scourge. The one who had the authority to forgive sin became sin for us. The way, the truth, and the life bled and died upon a cross. And this is so hard for us to get our heads around. The the mighty God should humble himself in this way. Charles Wesley put it like this, "'Tis mystery all the immortal dies. Who can explore his strange design? In vain the firstborn seraph tries to sound the depths of love divine. Jesus is the mighty God, limitless in power and authority. Nothing is too hard for him. Yet he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And his call to us in this Advent season is to humble ourselves before him in this waiting time, to trust in his saving power and to believe that his timing is perfect. The Apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, saying, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, for he cares for you. Let's pray together. Father, as we lift our hearts in praise and prayer before you, we want to thank you that Jesus is the mighty God, that nothing is too hard for him. He has all might and majesty, all power and authority. He is without limit 
in his potential. Forgive us if we doubt you. Forgive us when we fear you don't care. Forgive us when we convince ourselves that you've forgotten about us and you will not come to rescue us. Forgive us if we think we know how it ought to be done and when things ought to be resolved. Help us to humble ourselves under your mighty hand. Help us to trust that you are at work in our lives, in the lives of those we love, in our nation, in this world. You still have the power. You still possess the authority. Your might is matchless. Display it in our day. Work it in our lives. And may we, with lip and life, glorify and praise you until we see you face to face. May we cast our cares upon you, knowing that you care for us. And although we cannot see all that we need to see here and now, may we know that one day you will make it plain to us how you've always been at work for our good. We ask and pray all through Christ our Lord. Amen.